All right, praise the Lord, everybody. Welcome to Bible study tonight. So good to see everyone. Everybody's kind of, you can tell it's summertime. Everybody's kind of meandering in. I would be admiss, she's probably gone. Did Abby leave? I think she went up to service. We're so glad that Abby is back. Abby Mustard's back. And I think she went up to uh, service, uh, youth service, so... We're glad to have Abby back. So if you get to see her after church, uh, make sure you say hello. We're glad to have old Abs back with us. Um, So we are studying the book of Ephesians in a whirlwind tour of Ephesians tonight. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn there. Let me make a brief announcement while you're turning, getting ready, ruffling your pages and getting your app all taken care of. Uh, right after service, we're going to need help in setting up for, we have a Bible quizzing tournament here this weekend. And so if you can kind of hang around to everybody that's available, uh, we'll have to get this room set up, probably a couple other rooms set up. So, um, Alan, are you the point man on that? Okay. So if you don't know who brother Alan is, just look for the shine back there, right there in the corner. And, uh, and he can help you out. I like to pick on Alan. All right. So just a bit of review from last week. Ephesus, major uh, seaport for Asia Minor. Uh, this is a city, uh, was not a small city, very large metropolitan city, very diverse city. It was actually a good um a good seedbed for the gospel because they were very tolerant of, of other religions. So uh, it was a good place for the gospel to grow, at least initially. Paul got into some trouble, ended up having to leave town. Um, but five years later, he writes them a letter in this uh, city that... Uh, he has spent two years of his life, and if you kind of want to know how all that happened, you can read Acts 19 and details and, and details out the ministry that he had there for a couple years. We won't go over all that again. So this is this is the uh, this is this is the people. This is the climate, spiritual climate, and this this is the church that Paul is writing to about five years later from prison. Now, Ephesians can be broken down into two basic. Uh, segments hinged by one word. So chapters one through three, and that's what we reviewed last week, uh, deal with Paul wanting uh, them and then what we take from it to be grounded in the gospel, right? Um, He uses this phrase, he said, I want you to know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wants them to know how rich they are, how blessed they are, what's happened to them, uh, doesn't want them to lose sight of the fact that the, uh, they, they have been saved, that, that God has this glorious plan. He has predestined a church, a people, and that them as, especially these Ephesians, as Gentiles have been grafted into that plan. And so he wants them to remember that and know that. So the last three chapters... And really, uh, Brother Bruce, uh, we were talking about this afterwards. He said, man, you cover a, lot of, a whole lot of content, more, more uh, material than, than I would. And, and he's right. I started 
I started looking in this and I'm like, I have two weeks. And so we've, we've crunched a bunch of stuff. So I need to stop um, talking and really start getting into this. Um, but chapters four through six, I said it was hinged on one word. You look at chapter four, verse one, and it says, I, therefore, the word therefore. So Paul just got done for th- with three chapters talking about being about grounded in the gospel. And so now he says, therefore, because of what I just said, and then he starts to give instruction. So the way to look at the last four chapters of Ephesians is, okay, uh, I got it, gospel grounded, I'm part of it, I'm part of God's plans, I'm rich. So Paul says, so understanding all that, because you know that, here's how you need to apply that gospel in your living, okay? So Paul wants them to understand that this is more than just like a mental ascent. Hey, look, something great happened. Paul's saying, look, yeah, something great happened, but it happened for a purpose and here's how it ought to play out in practicality in your life. Everybody understand that? So, so he just starts dealing with them right where they're living. Uh, and I'm not sure that, you know, a lot of times uh, Paul's responses in his letters are because of things he's heard, because of things he knows, because of things he's feared. I think Paul is just, and this is just my take, Paul, this is just general teaching. Paul's like, I, I want you to know uh, how you ought to live in, in light of what has happened to you. So he, he said, there's a response to the gospel story and, and here's how I want you to live your story out. Now there's three specific areas that Paul, that Paul well, at least from, from, the, from the purposes of this study that we'll examine. Three sp- specific instances or areas that Paul delves into. Number one, he talks about unity, okay? And then he talks about lifestyle, and finally, he gets into where everybody's business into relationships, right? So three ways, he said, because the gospel has happened to you, I wanna talk to you how the gospel and what's happened to you, the power of the Holy Ghost, how that impacts your uh, unity that you should have within the church there. I wanna talk to you about how it impacts your personal lifestyle. And I also wanna share with you what this means for your relationships going forward. All right, that's the whole letter, the book of Ephesians in Cliff Notes. So let's start at uh, four and one. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg you, implore you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Paul has this little play on words about vocation. He said, it's your job. We think of that, your vocation, that's my job, okay? Specifically, the word is calling, but but he uses this kind of play on words, the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul said, this is what I want you to do. Now, how do you do that? Paul said, well, first of all, in verse two, he just kind of, kind of gets probably some of our biggest problems with each other. He said, here's how you do it. I want you to put up with each other. Okay, I want you, is that what he said? I want you to put up with each other. Now, there's a theme, uh, underlying theme that Paul presents here. It's very important. Paul talks uh, scripture upon scripture about unity in the church. But unity He also, in principle, says that unity is not uniformity, okay? Those are two separate things. 
So unity means we're all together. Uniformity means we're all the same, right? And I'm not the same as Sid. I'm not the same as Lacey or Jill or, or, or David or, or Patrick or, or anybody. There are so many differences in us. And Paul, you know, the church did not wipe away our personalities. It did not wipe away, uh, you know, our, especially our giftings, right? So Paul preaches this and says, look, there's unity because of what you believe and how you live. But there may never be uniformity in who you are because of how you've been made. All right? So Paul says, very important, because of that, you need to put up with each other. You've got to put up with the fact that Chase is a little quirky. All right? He's not really. I'm just poking at you. All right, so with all lowliness and meekness, long suffering. So this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't, hey, uh, you know, I'll deal with Dave one time, but three times I'm kind of done with him. No, this is with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, humble and gentle. Paul is really telling us to be patient with one another's faults. That's really what he's saying. Paul said we need to be patient with one another's faults. Now, seven times in three scriptures, we see the word one. Paul just kind of just, you know, he's, he just, he's a boxer and he just one tune, bam, 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 bam. He wants to drill this in. Ephesians 4 and 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so, so Paul is, is making sure that we understand this concept of unity. There's a lot of unity in those three scriptures. Unity is a natural thing when we are in the spirit. Okay, when we operate in the spirit, Unity isn't something that necessarily I believe we have to fight for. I think unity is a, it is a result of the spirit. Well, let me ask you, let me put it this way. Is there disunity in the spirit of God? Can I get it? Can somebody answer me right now? Is there? I mean, that, that's a good, that seems logical, right? Well, no, God's not divided. So, so. In the spirit, unity, conceptually at least, without, you know, barring our flesh, we really shouldn't have to work that hard. If we walk in the spirit, it should be easy to walk in unity. And so what does that tell us? When there is disunity, uh-oh, maybe we've stepped outside of that one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you Oh, it's kind of like last week when we were talking, remember I said, if you feel disconnected, check your connection, right? Because you can't, well, I feel disconnected to the church. Well, be careful, he's the head of the church. He's also the cornerstone of the church. So if you're disconnected from the church, maybe, you know, and we, we, this goes back to teaching. Remember we started the year with the teaching about I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't do anything without me. Everything happens through me. And it's through your connection with me, all right? So if we don't have unity, this is a, unity is a natural thing. And it doesn't have to be found. There is unity in the spirit of God. But yet he's practical and under, Paul understands human beings 
And he says, he uses this word, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond, the peace. What's that? That's all the stuff that's fighting against the natural progression of unity that is in the spirit. That's Chase getting mad at me. That's me getting frustrated with Patrick. That's all the flesh, right? Everybody say flesh. It's all the flesh that tries to creep up in, in the midst of, of God wanting unity and power and, and oneness in his, in his church and in his body. Peace, peace is the bond that holds us together. Peace is the bond that holds us together. Things that attack peace in church must be dealt with. Otherwise, it's like chipping away at the mortar of the bricks. So, you know, when there's disunity, when there's peace, those things have got to be, we've got to deal with those one with another. Now, I want you to notice that first word again, endeavoring. Endeavoring means that there will be a challenge to take away peace. There will be a challenge to take away unity. We will have to work at it. At what? At being in the spirit so unity can flow. It's ours, but we got to fight to stay in that position. All right, uh, uh, verse seven here, look at it. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And what did he do? He gave gifts unto men. All right. One, the New Living Translation said it this way. These are the gifts that he gave to men. And what are the gifts? He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Wow, what, what, what are the purpose of those gifts? Again, we're talking about the body here. What are the purpose, purposes of those gifts? Well, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying, the lifting up, the raising up of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so that, that ideal of the unity of the Spirit is something that we have to work to flow in, and God's given us gifts. That's why sometimes pastors have to step in and say, Je look, the Jessicas are having problems. Okay? And uh, y'all gonna have to come in my office, gonna have to talk, because you know, you are, you are wonderful, beautiful ladies, and you are godly women, and y'all need to get along. You're part of the body, you need each other. You know, sometimes we have to get, no, I'm just kidding, they love each other, all right? But, but this is what we're talking about. So we, pastors, teachers, sometimes things have to be taught. It's what we're teaching tonight. So we understand how this gospel is supposed to affect us, right? So God gives all these gifts and he uses this word to, to perfect. We've talked about that before. It means to complete, right? For the completion of the saints. So that for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ until we come to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. When are we going to get to the measure of the fullness of Christ? When we see, oh, that's a great answer. When we see him. And, and here's what the, the scripture tells us. We don't even know what, what it is where, that he is, but when we see him, we shall be. Now, Paul's talking specifically about his body, but I think it's the same. When we see him, we shall be like him. I don't think that's just in body. I think that means in spirit. The full measure of Christ happens at the rapture. That's when you're done maturing. Enjoy. You've got a lifetime until Jesus comes 
of working at this. These are the gifts he gave for the perfecting, the statue of the fullness of Christ. God put leaders in the church to complete the church, to help it towards the unity that it should have. Okay, God put leaders in the church to complete the church, to help it towards a unity that it should have. Ephesians 4 and 14 says this, again, still on this topic, that we henceforth from this moment on be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, every idea that, that culture throws at us or, or philosophy, every, that, we carry, that we not be carried away with every wind of doctrine or by the slight of men. Do you know that there are people trying to deceive in this world? There are principalities and, and, and spiritual wickedness in high places that are trying to deceive, deceive, and I believe even the church right now, all right? Cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. False doctrine, the slight of men. That God has given us this gift of leaders in the church to complete us so that we don't get bamboozled, however you want to put it, sidetracked, deceived. All right? Ephesians 4 and 15. But instead of being those things, speaking the truth in love, that we, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So Paul get, then goes on in, in verse 16 to give us kind of a, a word picture of what unity is supposed to look like. You'll find out that Paul, um, he likens unity to kind of two, this repeats in different books and different writings. Paul will say, well, unity is like a building that's, that's built together. And then he'll say, unity is like a body that works together. So as you look at your body and you see how everything kind of works together, all these systems work together. As you look at a building and you see how the framework all works together to provide a habitation, he said, that's, that's a word picture of what the church looks like from the whole, in this case, he uses the body, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. So everything's working together. Everybody's got a job. Everybody's kind of bearing their weight, so to speak, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body, the edifying of itself in love. So, so Paul's saying the body fits together. Each part does its own special work. It helps other parts to grow. You didn't know that was on your agenda, did you? That you, you've got a responsibility to help others grow, okay? To edify, thank you, that's a great word, to edify each other. All right, whether it be through your example, through your words, through encouragement, okay, helps other parts to grow. Everyone wants the whole body to be well. So there's, there's, we're selfless when we, when we address each other and when we think of each other, okay? I'm not saying, well, I gotta figure out, I, I'm not here just to make sure I get my blessing. I, 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 want, I want the whole church to grow. I, I want Sharona to be well, Right? And I want Brother Dave to be well. I, I want Christy to be well. I, I want everybody to be well. Why? Because they're part of the body. That's how the body operates, okay? My hand doesn't say, look, I'm just in it for myself. That's, okay? Every part of us wants us to be well. And what's Paul talking? He talks about it in other places. He said, when one part's sick, the whole body suffers, right? All right, so enough about that. I can go along, along and along. Everybody wants somebody to be well and it needs to be growing in love. So Paul 
steps off of the, the uh, topic of unity and he starts to talk about lifestyle stuff. Now, if you've been around, the, been around the church long enough, you've heard preaching, teaching, or something along these lines, I'm gonna challenge you tonight to just forget everything and learn it fresh, okay? Because, and sometimes when I start teaching and I start looking at, at what, what God is, is you know, telling me to share, I think, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I think, God, they've heard that. They've heard that. They've heard that. But then I start thinking about everybody and how God's growing the church and there's new folks around. So I'm just gonna, just a little caveat. You're not too experienced to learn this tonight. Okay? And, and you may find out that if you'll listen hard enough, there's probably something the Lord wants to speak to you tonight. So that's just a little commercial. All right? So let's talk a little bit about how the gospel uh, affects our lifestyle. Remember that first, you know, Paul said, therefore, because of everything I said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. Paul's play on words there. He talks about himself being a prisoner, all right? Guess what? He was writing for prison. So he's kind of making a little bit of a joke there. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, ha ha, all right? But yet he shows this concept. I, I feel bound to these things. I, I feel I feel that that uh, that I have no other choice. I'm a willing prisoner to the gospel, getting into my business and changing how I live. All right. So so Paul says we need to walk worthy of our vocation, our job, our career, our calling. Our calling has changed. I, I'm no longer what I used to be. And I'm not just a, uh, um, I don't know what you are, Jessica. Somebody I know what are. Uh, Brother Dave, you're retired. Uh, I, I'm not a guy that just works at, at a power facility, all right? My, my job has changed. My calling has changed. I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm anything else. Everybody follow me? Okay, so Paul is saying, you need to worry. That's the highest calling. You need to walk worthy of that calling. Well, how do we do that. Well, he starts to give us some ideas. First of all, he says, walk away from the world. Okay? Walk away from the world. What's that mean, the world? How the world lives, the mind of the world, the culture of the world. Ephesians 4 and 17 says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. That's a fancy way of saying how unbelievers, okay? Unbelievers walk in the vanity of their mind, having the, the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Don't walk like them. Who, and this, and this is a strong statement, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, to, to, to live in sin. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life of God that God gives because they've closed their minds. They've hardened their hearts. They have no sense of shame. Does that sound like anything that you're looking at in this world? They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They, they don't care about right or wrong anymore. He's saying that's the world. He said, instead, you need to care about it. They're driven by their own desires and thoughts. Paul said, no, 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 no. You've got a Lord and a master. You gotta let him drive your desires and thoughts. They've shut their minds off from God. You have got to work to keep your mind, your heart open to what God has to say to you. 
And not just what the preacher has to say, but what the word has to say to you. How many know the word will speak directly to you? I, I say this a lot. I'm a firm believer in it, that, that a preacher can only preach so many words. And every great sermon or every move of God or every word that you've ever received, it wasn't the words that the preacher said. It's how those, it's how those concepts hit your mind and your heart and exploded and became the exact customized truth that you needed for your life right that moment, okay? So, so you gotta learn to open your mind to what God wants to say to you. Ephesians 4 and 20, but you've not so learned Christ, if so that you be have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul is saying, here is how we live. Life changes for the believer. So he says, first of all, walk away from the world. Second of all, throw off what you used to be. Throw off what you used to be. Now, if you're here tonight and you think that when you came to God, you were you repented of your sins, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, that just everything was, was, was fine and you had just stepped into your white robes, all right? And uh, you're just walking with, I mean, you were hovering about three inches above the ground. I mean, you're just waiting for the rapture, right? No, Paul tells us this is a journey. This is a journey to, and, and there is this, these mechanics of you having to identify and then discard what is not like Jesus. And let me tell you, if you are sensitive to maturing and growing in Christ, you will spend the rest of your life identifying and discarding what's not like Jesus. Now, I, and that process will look different from, from you know, season to season in your life, should the Lord tarry. When I was 18 years old, there were things that God dealt me with it and I, I was convicted and I said, oh man, I don't need to do that anymore. I need to do this, you know. It was identifying and discarding. As I got older, there were other things that like, you know what, I don't need this either. Didn't seem like it was even important when I was younger. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So as you get older and as you master things, it's almost like school, as you master things, God says, okay, now that you can handle addition, I wanna show you what multiplication's about. There's some other things you need to learn, okay? And now that you know algebra, I'm gonna get in trouble because I don't know my math stuff, all right? I'm just gonna stick it right there at algebra. Now, now I wanna show you, trigger it up. There's more for you to understand, more identifying and discarding, right? You'll never stop doing that. Paul said, throw off what you used to be, that you put off concerning the former conversation, that's behavior. The old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. You'll spend your whole life identifying that old man and getting rid of him, right? And you will learn more and more and more to develop a difference. That is the process of becoming like Jesus. If you are not, this, maybe this is too, well, if you are not widening the gap between you and this world, something's wrong, okay? Because this world's not getting closer to God. This world's getting further away from God. And if you're like, well, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, safe distance. If you've been a safe distance for 10 years, something's wrong because this world is becoming more unholy and God has not changed, he has not moved. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And I, I fear that that is what is the plague of the church because the church feels comfortable staying a safe distance. But it's, it's greater than that. It's greater than that. As we, as we follow and we mature in Christ, you're always going to find other things you have to identify and discard. So throw off what you used to be. Uh, then Paul says in verse uh, 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Everybody say new mind. Okay, that's not just a one time. That's an everyday thing. New mind, new mind every day. I need a new mind. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew within me a right spirit. That's a new mind every single day. Throw off what you used to be, yes, but change your thinking. Change your thinking, and it starts in your mind. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because recently we've talked, we did a whole series about decision-making, all right? If you wanna know about that, I think they're trying to put that stuff on podcasts, go back, or go back on the live stream and take a look at that. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time uh, on that, but Paul said you gotta change your thinking, all right? We are, the, we are the sum result of our decisions, and God wants to get spirit, his spirit and his power involved in our decision-making, all right? So change your thinking. Start doing and being what God has called you. Ephesians 4 and 24. And so it's not just, again, uh, put off, identify, all right, and then put it off. But then if we just put things off, then it's just, it's all outflow, right? If I identify what's wrong, and, and I take it off, uh, I mean, let's just use Paul's analogy. Eventually, I'm just naked. It was a joke. Not funny, I guess. Okay. So, so we got to put on. Paul's not saying you just take off that this is a life of takeaway, that this is a life of, of uh, negativity. Paul said, yes, you change, you change your clothes is what you're doing. Put off the old man and put on, everybody say on, put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we are changing. It's not just to finding out what's wrong, what God doesn't like, but it's, it's, it's putting off that former conversation and putting on his righteousness, putting on his holiness. And so we gotta start doing and being what God has made us to be, this new spiritual creature. And then he starts getting really down just where the rubber meets the road. Ephesians 4 and 25. Wherefore, Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Stop lying. Be honest. Oh, I don't lie. I would dare say that there are some of you, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but you probably lie every single day. I'm going to sip coffee and... Shrona, can I pick on you? Okay. I don't, <laughs> for those of you online, Patrick said she lies all the time. Okay. Has anybody ever asked you, Sharona, hey, how you doing? And you looked back at him and said, fine. And you were not fine. Okay. All right. Is that honest? It's not. That's the right answer. Okay. Now, a lot of times we think of lying as, you know, just saying, you know, I heard that Nate Oakley has been embezzling funds from the church for like six months, okay? It's a lie, it's a lie. We think of those, you know, those hard things. But how many times, I want you to think, Paul said, put away lying. How many times have you just not been honest? In one, I mean, that's, that's one context. You've not been honest. And maybe it was something you didn't want to tell the truth about. 
or, or maybe it was something you were just uncomfortable with or whether you didn't know what to say, so it just wasn't. Un- Listen, you've got to stop lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbors, especially, we're talking about the church here. Why? Because we're members of one another. Right, let's go back to, uh, I don't wanna spend, I'm spending too much time, but let's go back to the analogy with Shrona. Shrona, are you fine? That's the right hand talking to the left hand. Left hand's bleeding, okay? It just got caught up in a, a meat processor and it's just bleeding and it's injured, all right? And the right hand says to the left hand, hey, how you doing? Fine, lie. Paul said, look, we're members of one another. And so, and so if you're, if, if one place you ought to be able to find help, it's in the body. All right, so enough of that. All right, Ephesians 4 and 26. Be ye angry, y'all ready? And sin not. And then listen to this. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I feel the conviction setting in right now. What is Paul saying here? Uh, Well, let me go on and read the next verse. Neither... Give place to the devil. Anger is an emotion that God has given us. But the word of God shows us how powerful and how dangerous it can be if it is not dealt with in a healthy manner. And it is so dangerous and volatile that Paul said, don't let it go over the space of a day. So how do you do that? What does that mean? What's practicality? What does that mean? Bruce, if Bishop has made you mad and you are angry, I'm talking about real anger, okay? I'm not talking about, well, you know, I'm talking about real anger. Okay, what is that? How do you do that? If I'm not gonna, if I'm gonna follow the word of God, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Then what the, what's that leave for you to do? Help me out. Help. When? That day. That day. The Bible says when you get mad, take care of it that day. Okay, now here's, we're all gonna be transparent. How many has been guilty of violating that scripture? Come on, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Some of you are, need to go back to the lying, okay? So, so Paul teaches us, he said, look, this, this gospel changes your life when it comes to this area. Control your temper, okay? Be angry and sin not. And reconcile. Man, how, be, how much better would the church be if we controlled our temper and we reconciled? How much better would our families be if we controlled our temper and we reconciled? Our marriages control our temper and reconciled. To use it correctly, anger is a warning light. I read that in a psychologist's book somewhere and I thought that makes so much sense. It's a warning light on the dash of your car, right? It's not there to give you specifics. It's there just to warn you something is wrong pull over, call a mechanic, figure it out. But that's what anger is. Anger is a warning sign. You gotta use it correctly. It's a warning light to reconcile, to work, to fix it. Going on, Ephesians 4 and 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. He's saying, hey, look, you need to stop stealing and you need to be, honest and then turn around and not just stop stealing but but be honest and then be generous isn't that a turnaround 
I'm taking from somebody. Paul says, stop taking, turn around and give, right? Go from the spirit of I need to take from everything around me and adopt the spirit to I need to work hard and give to everything around me. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Watch your mouth. Look at somebody right next to you and say, watch your mouth. Let no corrupt communication, those words mean rotten, worthless, proceed out of your mouth. But that instead, that which is good to the use of edifying, lifting up, that it may minister grace to the believers. We've talked about this before. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time, but the words that come out of your mouth, do you build or do you tear down? Do you build or do you tear down? And where you tear down, you need to shut up. And where you build, you need to scream it a little bit louder, okay? Ephesians 4 and 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be kind and forgive. Be kind and forgive. Forgive. How, how do you do that? How do you do that, especially if you're angry, especially if you're hurt? I, I've never seen the like of, of, and I'm just talking about in general in our day, it just seems like bitterness is so strong. I, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, I, I, maybe, I was, maybe when I was younger, I just didn't realize, maybe it was always been a problem. I'm sure it has to some extent. But it just seems like in this culture that people, that we've lost, people in general have lost the ability just to let stuff go. There's something that just holds on to bitterness and holds on to hurt, holds on to loss, holds on to pain. And, and makes, especially when it involves another human being or things done wrong, but but Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgive one another, just like you were forgiven. Man, that ought to be the, that ought to be the case closed, right? Shouldn't, it, shouldn't that be case closed? You know, I've been forgiven. A preacher should preach that, teach that. You should read that and like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I gotta let this go because, you know, I've been forgiven. And uh, if it wasn't for my forgiveness in my life, I'd burn in hell and, uh, and so... I just need to forgive other people because that's what he said. But we still have to teach it and it still doesn't happen. How do we do it? He goes on, I believe. Now remember, verse and chapters, those were added later. Paul, this is a discourse that continues. How do we do that? Paul continues and says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us. How do I forgive because I've been forgiven? Well, you use his forgiveness as example for sure, but then, then logistically he said, walk in love as Christ has loved us. It's the love of Christ in us that allows us to forgive like Christ forgive, forgive, has forgiven us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 
So he even, Paul even drills it down further. He said, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't even say that you deserved it. He said he gave himself as a sacrifice. And that's the spirit and the attitude that we need to have one for another. We need to imitate God and walk in this sacrificial love. Be followers, be imitators. Verse five, he changed his topic. He says, but fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. First Corinthians 6 and 8, Paul, 18, Paul deals with this issue again in the Corinthian church. And he tells them, he says, run from sexual sin. And then he makes a statement, and man, is this true. I want you to think about it. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. So you could sin in a lot of different ways. I'm not sure that it makes it worse, but Paul at least makes this statement that sexual sins affect the body worse than any other. No other sins affect it. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And remember, that's not yours anymore. Right? I mean, you, you, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Now, he refers to us, now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So understand sexual sin, you sin against the body. You sin against the temple of the Holy Ghost. Verse four, neither filthiness or foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather of giving thanks. For this you know, no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now, why does he go through all that? Because of the next thing he wants to say in verse seven, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Paul says, you're gonna have to draw a line, okay? There are gonna come times where you're gonna have to draw a line. For you were sometimes in darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of the spirit and all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Paul says you cannot be partakers with them, participants with them. And he says, you gotta prove these things. Examine these, these relationships. Examine the people around you for approval. Examine your behavior, what you connect with and what you condone. That's what he's really saying there. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. In other words, he said, you cannot share close company with any of those things that he talked about in four, five, and six. But instead, he said to reprove or tell a fault or rebuke that you have to have a voice that says, hey, no, that is not of God. Listen, there's gonna come times in your walk with God where you're probably gonna to have to look at somebody around you and say, look, I don't do that, I don't think that, I don't go there, I can't be that because that is not of God. And I'm gonna tell you, this world hates that. This world hates it and they call it all kinds, well, you're being judgmental. No, I'm reading the word of God. Let it Say what it wants to say to you, but either it says it or it doesn't. And we've got, you can go through examples of that. I don't know, I'm not gonna take time tonight, but I think you all understand what I'm trying to say. And he said, for it is even a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. All right, let me move on. We're running out of time. I knew this. So uh, verse 15, walk with your eyes wide open. See, 
that you walk circumspectly. That means looking all the way around. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days of error. Be aware of your times. Okay, be aware of what's going on. Walk with your eyes wide open. Verse 17, very important. Seek to understand what the Lord's will is for you. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Pray, get into his word, understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. Look at patterns that are in front of you, successful spiritual patterns. Know the will of the Lord for your life. Follow up, let leadership speak into your life. Understand what is the will of the Lord for your life. Verse 18, stay away from things that take control of your spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Be filled with the spirit. You wanna have a good time? Man, get full of the Holy Ghost. Forget all that drinking. Can I get an amen there? I've never been drunk, but I've heard that it can be fun. I need somebody that has been drunk to say amen so I don't look bad here. Okay. But how many would say that that is nothing compared to being full of the Spirit? Amen. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. Because I was getting really nervous there. Whew. All right. And then verse 19, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Worship is part of everyday life. And Paul says, hey, look, this gospel being grounded in you, it needs to change your lifestyle. You need to speak to each other. You need to talk about the Lord with one another. You need to worship with one another. I mean, I know we do that in church, but I mean, even outside and in our, our small, smaller groups and in our connections within the church, we need to talk to one another about the Lord. Amen? And so this, this needs to be a topic conversation. Now, developing right relationships. I've got five minutes. Oh, Lord. Okay, we're not gonna get through this. So let me just fly through. I can send these notes to you and you can fill them out. But just understand this, God knew the importance and the impact of relationships in the church. And, and relationships can get things very messy. In fact, one of the main reasons for process in the church and why we have you know, processes of how we do things is because of relationships. You know, we, we have processes to make sure that things are fair. We have processes to make sure that no one's left out. We have processes to make sure that no feelings are hurt. I mean, we, that's, what, that's part of the reason for organization is because of relationships. And Paul knew that relationships had to be different on the kingdom side of things. Okay, a lot of people, they change their relationship with God from nothing to having a better one or nothing to having one without changing any relationships around them. And that simply is not the plan of God for your life. Yes, he wants to change you, but in changing you, it should change your marriage. It should change your friendships, should change your children, it should change, it should change work. And Paul deals with these things. So I'm gonna give you an assignment now because I'm out of time. But I want you to read through five and six of Ephesians, mostly six, and you're gonna find out that Paul deals with these things. He talks about how husbands and wives are to, why would he do that? Why would he just break? He's talking to the church about unity. He's talking about all these other things. Why would he break and say, now let me talk to you about your marriage because the gospel, what it's done in your life should impact your marriage. And it should impact your relationships. And the other problem is that these relationships, you think about it. What is the most prone to affecting your spiritual life? 
I'm going to tell you where I get really unspiritual is when I get out of sorts with Krista Nave. I'll tell you when I get really unspiritual, when I get out of sorts with my kids. It's hard to be spiritual when I'm mad at my boss at work and we're praying mean prayers. Okay, they impact our spiritual lives. So, so here's a universal rule of relationships. Submission to others. Ephesians 5.21, submission to others. It is the universal rule of relationships. The spiritual root to submit ourselves, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Okay, Patrick, I could solve any conflict between any two people if they would follow Ephesians 5.21. It is impossible for conflict to live when two people are in submission to one another in the fear of God. It's impossible. And the only time that there is conflict is when one says, I want my way. Or I'm right. Okay? When there is when there is mutual submission in the body, conflict dies on the vine. So that, that word submit means be subject to, serving, submitting, to awaken or arouse or become aware. So, so to, to take, you know, I've heard it this way and I've preached it this way, that submission is, is submission, making your mission subservient to another's, right? Um, Paul talks about marriage in 533. Nevertheless, let uh, uh, every one of you in particular, so love his wife, he talks to the husbands, even as himself and see, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I have time to unpack all this, but men crave respect, women crave love. And if men would understand what women crave and women understand what men crave, a lot of marriage would be a whole lot better. And realize that you are uniquely gifted and you said on your wedding day, committed to providing that for your spouse. So our cycles of bad behavior, everybody knows how to fight does, happens, right? You made me mad, so I'm gonna do something to make you mad. You didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm not gonna give you what you want. And so then you're just going round, 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 round like cats chasing each other, right? Until what happens? Until finally somebody gets tired of running, right? Somebody's like, you know what, forget this. This is stupid. I don't even remember why I'm mad at her. And somebody gets off the crazy train, okay? So, um, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. I heard, I heard um, uh, this phrase differently, that, that women, women are to respect their husbands and allow him to take responsibility for them. I said, wow, that's, that's, that's right, that's right. That, that they are to respect their husband and then allow their husband to take, to take, uh, to take um, what's the word? Somebody just went away from me. Thank you. <laughs> to take responsibility for them. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as unto the Lord. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives also be unto their own husbands. Okay? And then husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ did the church. And husbands are to love their wives and lay down their life for them. Oh, that means that if a burglar comes that I'm supposed to step in the way. No, it means to lay down your life, all of it for her, okay? That's a little bit different, isn't it? So if you got a woman 
that is saying, I'm going to respect my husband and I'm going to allow him to take responsibility for me. For responsi- Why am I having a hard time with that word? Responsibility for me. I'm going to allow him to lead. Okay? And he leads and he loves her like Christ loved the church. Okay? And lays down his life and said, and says, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll you know, do whatever I can to uh, uh, minister to her. It's really hard for a marriage to fall apart. Very hard. So husbands, lead and love your wives. All right. Um, he goes on and talks. Uh, I had more about that. Kids and home. Uh, rule kids are to do what their parents tell them. Children, obey your parents. That's Paul's rule. Children are to do what their parents tell them. I can't believe I'm not getting at least a uh-huh or an amen or something. See, that's a problem with this world. Nobody wants to tell their kids no anymore. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I mean, I've got a little granddaughter and a little grandson. They rip my heart out. But when they're acting like a little snot-nosed brat, probably shouldn't say this online, they get whippings from Papa. Okay, my kids got whippings, probably less than they deserve, but my kids got whippings because children are supposed to do what their parents tell them. Now, their parents are supposed to care for them and tell them right things and, and, and not, you know, uh, make them servants. And, you know, Paul talks about uh, uh, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, right? We're supposed to have their best interests in heart and better have it, amen, right? But children are supposed to do what their parents tell them. Uh, another rule Paul talks about, Ephesians 6 and 2, honor belongs to parents. Don't try to keep it from them. Honor means to value. And, and no matter what your parents are, were, or shall be, honor is something we ascribe to someone. And it's one of the, hey, we talked about no idols. Along with it, those big 10, God's top 10 there, honor your parents, right? What if they're not honorable? That doesn't matter. You assign honor. Well, how do you do that? Verbally, physically, and mentally. You assign them a place. They are my parents, okay? Rule, parent as a teacher, not a dictator. Kind of talked about that. All right, so work, it's eight o'clock. Ultimately, here's what you need to pulp. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians 6 and 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Paul says in the very end of that, as unto Christ. Here's what'll make your job. I don't care if it's the most pitiful job in the world. If you work for Jesus, it will be fine. If you work for State Farm or the hospital, wherever it is that you work or Growmark, or wherever it is that you work, it could be problem. But when you work for Jesus, it will be fine. And then he says, work like you're being watched because you are. Ephesians 6 and 7. He says, God rewards those who work their job for him. 6 and 8. He plays benefit according to our effort in our work. Six and nine tells us to lead those. If you're in a position where you lead people and you're a boss, how many bosses do we have in here? Don't point at your spouse. Yeah, you're a boss, right? A one man, one man show. Yeah. Any other people manage people? Anybody, seriously, do you manage people? Robin, I know you do, right? Paul's got words for that too. He says this, lead those you manage like Jesus leads you. Check it out, 
Six and nine, check it out. I don't have time to unpack that. Leadership is influence. God's put you there for a reason. Lead people like, like Jesus leads you. All right, I'm sorry that was so helter-skelter. I ran out of time. I should have done three weeks, but I can't be here next week where the Paul's gonna teach, and so I try to do it. Study five and six. It is how we live our lives according to how the gospel impacts us. Help me pray. Jesus, we love you, Lord, tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the unsearchable riches that you have placed in us through salvation, through your grace and your mercy and calling us, God, and making us a part of your divine plan, your covenant family. God, your people, we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us instruction and in how that should impact us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to apply this. Help us, Lord, to identify the things that need to fall away and the things, Lord, that we need to take into ourselves. Help us, Lord, to operate in our relationships, God, from the perspective of the gospel, from the perspective of the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the clarity of your word. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us, God, to take it with us and apply it in Jesus' Jesus name and everybody said amen amen god bless you thank you see brother allen he's standing up in the back he's going to begin pointing i know there's a lot of stuff that has to happen in here where else do they have to go so children's chapel in here we need to set up okay all right god bless you thank you for coming tonight